We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week. ICRT's roundup of the top news stories from around Taiwan over the past seven days. I'm Keith Manconi of ICRT News. Joining me in studio is Gavin Phipps, also of ICRT News. Hey, good evening. And rounding out the show, we've got with us in studio Ross Feingold of DC International Advisory. Good evening. And by phone, ICRT Central Taiwan correspondent Donovan Smith. And good evening. Uh, on the show today, the election is just over a week away, so pretty much that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, we'll be taking a look at what's come out of the presidential debates, also at how recent cross-strait agreements are going to shake things up a little bit. And authorities just uncovered a massive gambling ring that uh, they suspect involved wagers on the outcome of next week's election. So uh, we're going to be taking a look at what are the odds that that could influence votes. All that and more coming up. But first, before we even touch on the election, uh, we've got to take just one second to take a look at the story that's put the whole world on edge this week. North Korea on Wednesday claimed to have carried out the successful detonation of a hydrogen bomb. Uh, Now, the U.S. government and uh, nuclear experts have cast doubt on that claim. Uh, But whether it's true or not, regional tensions have already ticked up several notches. Uh, So what is this going to mean for Taiwan? Well, uh, Taiwan's government has already strongly condemned North Korea's actions, but obviously... Uh, it's not one of the major players here. So, Ross, uh, is Taiwan just going to be left to sit on the sidelines and see how this all shakes out? Actually, there's some significant implications for Taiwan, um, more so in the business sector, where there are Taiwanese companies who have trading relationships with North Korea. Uh, Taiwan does export some products. And on the assumption that there are going to be increased sanctions against North, North, against North Korea, uh, Taiwanese companies and the Taiwanese government, Taiwanese financial institutions are going to need to uh, be very, very cautious about doing business with North Korea. But because even if it's non-military goods, the, the direction that um, the sanctions will, will go is doing any kind of business with a company which is linked to the North Korean government, and they, all companies there obviously are, uh, is in some way supporting their weapons program. So it's going to be increasingly difficult to do any kind of business with North Korea, and that's where Taiwanese companies really need to be careful. There, and there, there have been incidents in the past where uh, Taiwanese companies were accused of selling dual-use technologies or goods that could be used in weapon systems, and that created some tension with the United States. Right. Of course, that's more on the uh, business end of things. Uh, what about on the strategic end of things? Uh, well, uh, this is going to be a, a big issue now for China, and there's going to be a lot of pressure from the United States and, and European countries for, for China to uh, also increase its sanctions on North Korea and, and it means that China and the Chinese leadership do have this significant issue to take up some of their attention and their time uh, at a time when uh, they have issues in Hong Kong and they're going to have to deal with the outcome of the Taiwan election. So uh, it might make it difficult for uh, Taiwan's next government to get some time and attention and uh, flexibility from China if China has to divert so much uh, leadership time to North Korea issues. All right. uh, So we're going to tie that up in a bow for the moment. Uh, But in somewhat related news, uh, markets are not doing so well this week. China's stock exchange, of course, uh, did so poorly recently that it had to be uh, shut down by authorities. Uh, Here in Taiwan is looking uh, similarly bad. Uh, Yesterday, uh, the Taiex lost 138 points. 
Uh, so things are looking grim enough that uh, Finance Minister Chang Sheng Ford uh, felt compelled yesterday to come out and say, no, actually, uh, things are going to be okay. We, uh, you know, we have this whole fund in place to help prop up the market. So uh, if things are bad enough that the finance minister is trying to reassure us, should we be alarmed? Well, uh, the economic data for China has been increasingly poor, and that has carried over to Taiwan as well as other parts of the world. It's beyond the control of the the minister of finance to improve uh, external demand, and and Taiwan is such a heavily uh, export-dependent economy. So uh, it's part of the job for government officials to be optimistic and and to reassure the uh, public, investors, and business people. But uh, we should expect some increasingly difficult economic times, and and that, of course, will impact the stock market. Apparently not according to the head of the central bank. Peng Huainan, of course, came out on Thursday and said, it's okay, Taiwan's fundamentals are absolutely okay. The fundamentals might be okay, but again, Taiwan cannot by itself control the demand from other countries for Taiwan manufactured products, and uh, Taiwan is an export-dependent economy. So they could keep the fundamentals correct here in in Taiwan. They could devalue the currency uh, even more. But if there's no demand, then it's beyond their control. All right. So uh, we've kicked off the show with two downers. Uh, We've got a a, a defense downer and now a financial downer. Uh, Let's see if we can get a political downer in the mix up next. Uh, We're going to ease into our election coverage with uh, a story that's kind of half about the election and uh, half a story that's kind of the makings for a constitutional showdown. Uh, Rumors have emerged that President Ma Ying-jeou is considering handing over his right to form the cabinet uh, to whatever legislature is voted in office uh, by voters next Saturday. Uh, so for folks that are scratching their head and uh, not sure exactly what that means, let's have a quick civics lesson. Uh, Gavin, uh, tell us how uh, the cabinet is currently appointed and how it would be different under this uh, possible proposal. Yes, the president currently appoints the cabinet, and under the proposal, the president, that being Ma Ying-jeou, will not call the next cabinet that this is going to get rather complicated because of course the next cabinet is actually in the january election but of course mine joe doesn't leave office till may right that's which the means key. There's, a, there's a sort of what you call a caretaker sort of cabinet mm-hmm. for the juncture between his somebody winning the election and him leaving office so usually Ma-Ying Joe picks the cabinet, but he came out, reportedly came out, and I use the word reportedly in large letters in italicised, very large underscored letters there, because no one really knows if it's true or not, and said he will not, he will forego his constitutional right to pick his cabinet, and he will let the party that has a majority in the legislature pick the cabinet. Of course, this is all jolly and good on paper and sounds very democratic, but of course it could lead to some serious problems. Right, exactly. So uh, there, it may just be a caretaker government, but there could be some uh, precedent set- setting going on, uh, which uh, leads to some speculation about what it could mean uh, for the future government. Uh, Donovan, uh, could you uh, lay out some of the possible motivations that could be behind this for us? Well, quite clearly, this is try to uh, boost. I mean, actually, the KMT websites explicitly stated that this was uh, to potentially help the Chu campaign um, and try and get people motivated to elect, uh, you know, to try and elect uh, KMT lawmakers and uh, Eric Chu. Also, the KMT website specifically said that it was rumored that he said this, 
and Tsai has already come out uh, on the DPP side and openly questioned whether or not this is a real thing or not. Mm-hmm. So this is, it's basically, I, th- I think this is just a trial balloon, frankly. Mm. Uh, well, let's just uh, stick with the idea that it is real for one second. I mean, uh, if the precedent is set, uh, the constitutional precedent is set that the legislature now gets to uh, choose the cabinet, and uh, if the KMT believes that they are going to maintain a majority in the legislature, could this be a bid to kind of soften the blow of losing the presidency? Well, yes. I mean, that, that, that's one element. Um, and, and honestly, this is a genuine problem, because previously it used to be the elections were in March, and then it, there was, you know, a matter of six to eight weeks, and then, you know, the new president would take over. But now there's a, you know, there's a, almost a four-month gap. And so this is a genuine problem that needs to be addressed, either constitutionally or legally, to handle that transition. So, it, you know, it, it's a lot of people have been asking a lot of questions about the transition, and I, I think that I, I'm actually glad to see the Mont government is is rumored to be addressing it. Um, so we'll see what happens. I mean, it, it, you know, it, obviously, the I don't think that the the KMT is going to win the legislature. No, you know, no, nobody expects that they will. Uh, although possibly the Ma government thinks there's a hope of that, but so you know that there's that the, there's talk that there's rumors of addressing this is good, but on the other hand, uh, through the entire last year there's been a lot of talk of reforming the constitution for uh, you know the voting age and all of this stuff, and all of these things are raised as issues. The the KMT and the DPP come out and say yes, that's great. We're going to do something, and then in the end, they never do. Well, I don't. I, I was going to say I don't. I don't think um, it, it really matters that much. Simply because even if the DPP is the largest party, DPP plus their allies have a majority in the legislative UN, and President Ma didn't proceed with this idea and still maintained a cabinet of um, non-aligned or, or mostly KMT. Uh, affiliated politicians. I, I don't think the government during this four-month period would do anything uh, extremely unusual. Uh, I don't think they would propose spending large amounts of money, uh, that they wouldn't have a legislature that would approve any bold initiatives anyway. Uh, and they wouldn't have much incentive to pursue any uh, unusual policies. So in, in some ways, it might not matter. Oh, I think they will. I think they should continue to push their agenda up to the last minute. Well, which of course will lead us to another topic we're coming up to later in the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, so much of their agenda doesn't get it doesn't get passed anyway. So now, now you guys are all, all talking in terms uh, of of just this transition period. But uh, would this have any implications for a further precedent beyond that in terms of who has the constitutional authority over the cabinet, whether it you know be the presidency or the legislature? Well, that's I think where it gets a bit mucky, doesn't it? It's always been mucky. It's going to get muckier if it happens because, of course, whether if, if Ma does forego his constitutional right to name the cabinet and gives it to lawmakers to name the cabinet and it all goes belly up for the KMT, then no doubt they'll be stamping their feet and screaming unfair come the next election, which will set a rather iffy situation there. All right, so uh, mucky is the key word for this story. We're going to leave it at that. Uh, And leave the first half there. When we come back, we'll be taking a closer look at all of them issues raised by the recent presidential debates and uh, how some recent developments in cross-strait relations may affect the way things shake out next Saturday. That's all coming up after this.
Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, ICRT's weekly roundup of the news from around Taiwan. I'm Keith Menconi with Gavin Phipps. Also on the show today, we've got Ross Feingold and Donovan Smith. Chugging along and into the deep, dark morass of presidential campaign news, from which we shall not emerge for at least the next couple of weeks. Uh, let's kick off that plunge with a look at the pair of debates we've just had in the last week or so. Uh, there was the second and final presidential debate held on Saturday, and that was followed up on Monday with a vice presidential debate, uh, both attended by the candidates from the DBP, KMT, and uh, People's First Parties. Uh, and of course, uh, this was almost a week ago at this point, uh, but the issues raised during the debates have stuck around as flashpoints in the campaigns. Uh, so Gavin, let's start with Eric Jew's line of attack on the Thai campaign. Uh, the new term is flip-flopper on ractopamine. Oh, yes, the ractopamine issue. It just won't go away, will it, eh? First of all, we had ractopamine in beef. Now we've got ractopamine in pork. Well, of course, the government finally um, sort of caved in. Ross might not like those words, but I'm going to use the term caved in to US pressure to allow certain parts of dead cows to be imported to Taiwan that did in fact contain traces of this leanless it's difficult to say, leanless enhancing drug, which is given to cattle to make them, well, basically meatier rather than fattier. Mm-hmm. Of course, this caused a bit of a stink here with the local farmers, and they said, hey, we're not having this. But then the government said, hey, but you don't grow many cows. Grow many cows. You don't raise many cows, do you? And they said, oh, OK, that's OK. You can have it in bits of beef. Unfortunately, the issue now between Taiwan and the US is will Taiwan allow US pork to enter the market here, which also contains ractopamine. Of course, in Taiwan, pig farming is quite big. Right. So there's a lot of opposition to the possible allowing US pork to enter the Taiwan market containing ractopamine. And the candidates have sort of been a bit wishy-washy about this. They've said one thing and then they've said another. Leading uh, Thai open to allegations that he she's kind of changed her stance on this. Uh, the, the charge made by Ju is that Thai kind of sort of said that uh, she would be agreeable to letting this pork enter the market. And as we know, this would be a significant uh, uh, opening towards further uh, trade uh, talks and, and agreements between the, t- between the U.S. and Taiwan. Uh, and Chu came out very clearly and said, I am against this pork coming into the market. And, and then, of course, it goes back to this TPP thing, which is quite of ironic because, exactly. of course, the KMT has been jumping up and down. We want to join the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And, of course, part of joining the Trans-Pacific Partnership is opening markets to all U.S. products. And, of course, pork containing rectopamine is a U.S. product. Oh, well, that's why uh, you know, Ju and, and Sai now are arguing back and forth about whether you know, one or the other is trying to get on the good side <laughs> of the U.S. Murky uh, appears to be the uh, keyword for this segment as well. Very quickly, before we uh, move on to the other flashpoints of the debate, uh, it seems kind of hard to suss out who's on uh, the more popular side of this issue. Uh, is this, uh, Ross, in your view, a line of attack that uh, will get any traction for the KMT? Uh, well, food safety concerns are, are a big issue in Taiwan. Um, I, I don't think it's going to have a major impact on the election result. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, again, food safety issues uh, being what they are in, in all the recent incidents we've had here in Taiwan, uh, you cannot be cautious enough as a politician mm-hmm. on this kind of issue. And, well, I mean, I actually specifically uh, spoke to the ex-head of AIT when he was still uh, in office, and I said, you're really marketing this wrong. You're supposed to say, you know, American beef now with leanness enhancing agents. 
but uh, they didn't market it right. Um, but Ty, I thought, I mean, she came out and she said, you know, she would accept the standards uh, for accepting ractopamine that, that Japan and South Korea use. She's taking, uh, obviously, a practical line now, uh, whereas Chu knows he's going to lose and Song knows he's going to lose. So they, they, you know, they they can pretty much say whatever they want. So they'll, they're going to drum up a you know a very populist line. Uh, but Tsai knows she's going to be you know she's going to be the next president. So she has to take a cautious line and keep her her options open. All right. Well, yeah, I think you're right. Something about rectopamine, that word just doesn't really get the uh, the hunger pangs going. All right, well, uh, switching things up now and moving over to the Thai assault on the Chu campaign. And uh, this, during the debate, largely centered on allegations of vote buying. Uh, Gavin, tell us a little bit about that. Vote buying is not good. But I believe Donovan is the best person to answer this because, Donovan, you live quite close to Taiwan's vote buying central, don't you? (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) Well, there's been quite a few allegations this year of of uh, vote buying, John Hua happened to be the epicenter of it during the nine and one elections. It had uh, you know, the the highest percentage of uh, something like nearly a third of all the cases were in John Hua in the last uh, nine and one election. Now the DPP it, it generally, the DPP historically has always accused the KMT of vote uh, vote buying on a wide scale. What's actually prosecuted is usually far less than what the DPP accuses. But then on the ground, uh, I mean, I, I've, from personal experience, I've actually watched, you know, the KMT candidates, them, them physically actually handing the cash out. So, you know, it, the truth seems to be somewhere between the two. Whereas in the last election, Sujatran said they were going to have billions. Uh, and so basically, fundamentally, what the KMT is doing is, sorry, the DPP is doing is they're reminding people that there's, there are dirty tricks usually on the KMT side, although occasionally they occur on the DPP side, particularly when factional politicians have moved from the KMT to the DPP. Now, the first actual case this year where somebody's actually been charged is an independent businessman in Zhanghua, uh, not a KMT candidate. It's, it's actually an independent um, but and, and here's another interesting thing is that there's uh, allegedly there's a new tactic now again this is not proven there's no you know this is again allegedly uh, that vote buyers are using a different tactic that this year because traditionally what happened is and I've actually talked to a lot of voters who actually specifically said this is what they do they said they take oh we take the we take the the money from all the candidates and we just vote however we want and the solution to this is that. Uh, this this year, apparently, the vote buyers are actually paying opposition voters, people who are known to vote for the opposition, to rent their uh, ID cards. They pay them some money. They take the ID cards, wait till the election's passed, so they can't vote because they don't have their ID card, and then they give them their ID card back. All right. So uh, another line of attack uh, from one campaign to another. Uh, Do you see, you know, this controversy that's kind of been uh, raging back and forth this week and we heard about it in the debate? uh, Do you see this uh, changing any votes come election time or is this our voters just going to hear this and, you know, kind of already knew it was going on? No news there. Frankly, I think it's going to go both ways. Um, I think that in a lot of ways, people are fed up with uh, the KMT and with vote buying and with factional politicians, 
uh, and I think there's a widespread disgust on a level that there hasn't been in the past. In other words, a sense, particularly post-Sunflower, that wait a minute, we can actually take a principled stance on things. And so I think that in a lot of ways, there's going to be uh, a, a, a disgust and a backlash against the KMT. On the other hand, there are still people who will be influenced by local, you know, local factions and by the money, particularly in areas where rural areas where these old-fashioned networks still, you know, still function. But the, this is primarily people over the age of 50, 60 years old, now heading on 60, I'd say. So it's generally older people, very rural, very traditional and very much tied into the old-fashioned networks, and I think it'll still influence some of those people. There was a case, though, about three months ago, when the HD, they, it was, I forget, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what party the person was working for. Anyway, politician gave away gifts to some people at an event. Just they were boxes of chocolates are using, for example. And this got out, of course, made the headline news, and it was debated, and a judge in the a judge basically it wasn't at court it was just the judge when he was asked to make a comment about it said okay well the gifts were worth about 150 nt i possibly the candidate in question should have maybe given them a gifts for less than 100 nt but he personally said that he doesn't think giving someone a 150 nt box of chocolates is actually going to sway the vote all right so uh murky once again is the key word here what is vote buying really is it a box of chocolates? Uh, but we're going to move now to a slightly different angle on this whole election thing. Now we're going to be looking at the cross-strait angle. And there have, in fact, been a handful of goings-on in China-Taiwan ties recently to speak of. On Wednesday, uh, to name one of them, there was a preparatory meeting for the 13th round of negotiations on a cross-strait trade and goods pact, indicating that there may soon be some movement on that stalled deal. And uh, to add to that, earlier this week, uh, we got the announcement from China's Taiwan Affairs Office that residents of three Chinese cities would soon be allowed to transit through Taoyuan International Airport for flights to third nations. Uh, that, of course, opens up the possibility that the airport could become uh, a transit hub for Chinese travelers. So, uh, obviously, these developments could be seen as advances in cross-strait ties. Uh, but, Gavin, uh, Tsai Ing-wen and her campaign is raising concerns over the timing here uh, and how close this is to the election. There are concerns because, of course, the DPP are claiming it's maybe it's China trying to influence the election and make the KMT look better than the general public is presumed to believe the KMT to be. The party- I have a little trouble understanding that, that kind of analysis, though, because if the public coming out of the Sunflower Movement over the last 18 months to two years has been against closer economic relations with China, then why, why would the DPP be taking that line of argument? It, it shouldn't be helping the KMT to pursue these agreements. It should well, be hurting them. Well, one could say it's like the blind leading the blind, really, couldn't they, when it comes to this issue? But it is quite interesting. I mean, China has three cities, Kunming, Nanchang, and Zhongqing, I believe, are the three cities in question. And I'm not sure whether the people transiting through Taiwan have to be residents of those cities or the flights have to originate in those cities. This is all a bit... The whole, the whole transit thing remains rather murky. Mm. Well, another important issue here, again, it's going to... 
uh, go, going towards the next government or the next legislature in which parties have a majority is the in order to pass the services agreement or the trade and goods agreement, there needs to be this cross-strait agreements mechanism, uh, monitoring mechanism, which the parties need to reach a consensus on, regardless of which party is in the majority, regardless of who's president. And, and we still haven't gotten that done. Um, so again, we're, we have both a mixture of political and business issues that uh, both parties have to deal with. Mm. But then the, the, the Mara administration has said it hopes to sign this agreement and conclude talks on it, but then it's not going anywhere after that, is it? Because the other agreement, of course, hasn't gone anywhere either, has it? Right. Because it's, there's no... There's no agreement. Well, there's no cross-strait framework. framework yeah. Mechanism agreement. To monitor, yeah. yeah. Ah, all right. So we're keeping things in the realm of the hypothetical and the, the wheels spinning and not really going anywhere. So like the magic roundabout here, uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm thinking the word is murky. Murky. Oh, murky. Seems to go. be That's the word of the, the day. Word, the word of the day, innit? Thought it was for one story, but it's the word of the day, in fact. Last up for today, for our podcast listeners, we've got a story uh, where there's really nothing murky about it. We know exactly what was going on here. We're going to be talking about the massive gambling ring that authorities uh, have been busy dismantling all week. Uh, And as as we all know, uh, folks are willing to bet on just about anything. Politics, of course, being no exception. So it was really no surprise that a big chunk of the betting that was going on uh, perhaps concerned the upcoming elections. So big, in fact, that authorities are warning that uh, the betting may significantly influence voting uh, before we get to the impact on the campaign. Gavin, uh, just set things up by telling us what was dismantled here. Oh, in fact, last Sunday, last weekend, police raided, I believe, 31 locations, arrested a bunch of people. 43 people, I believe, were arrested, including the the, the man who supposedly was running this betting... He was taking book. This wasn't an online betting thing. We'll get to that in a minute. This was actually a physical betting thing where police raided locations, arrested a lot of people, and apparently they confiscated 1.4 billion NT in cash from this bookmaker, which was an illegal bookmaker because, of course, technically gambling is illegal in Taiwan. And they apparently had proof that this physical betting operation was taking bets on the election. Now, there was another one this week, later this week, Police officers raided several other dozen locations in Taiwan and arrested a staggering amount more people in an online betting operation. Now, apparently, according to the person that was arrested who was running the online betting operation, he fully admitted to taking bets on just about everything from the speed the tortoise will cross the road to who's going to beat the... Brooklyn Nets or Manchester United in the next game. However, he denied taking any money on the election. But police got a bit suspicious about this when they said, well, you didn't take any money on the election, so you got two billion NT in cash lying around just on an NBA game? Yeah, that one, I, I, this one, I believe, police conducted raids at 55 locations, detaining 53 suspects and seizing two billion. Uh, there's also, again, a separately... There's a gambling operation based in the temple in Kaohsiung, uh, where they had three suspects and a large, and they had 22 million in cash. And apparently, this temple was actually quite famous for doing this. Well, I'm I'm shocked. I am just shocked that gambling is going on here. Well, let's try and deconstruct this. So, if you're running a, a, a book, an illegal book, why would you? Why would you have two billion dollars in cash? Well, you've got to put it somewhere. You can't put it in a bank, can you? Yeah, you got to be smarter than keeping the cash laying yeah, around know, the these, house. These, these are mostly mobsters. Yeah. I mean, so, well, you know, 
Al Capone might have become a famous guy, but he probably wasn't very smart in the head. He got caught for tax evasion, didn't he? So, you know, they're mobsters. They're not graduates from law school, necessarily. You've got to be smart enough to run the book and not lose money. So they must be good with numbers. Because the question is, they've got all this money saved. They've got this money in a basement. But, I mean, what would happen after the election? If it was, if the bets were being taken on the election, would the gambling operation be able to pay the money to the people that won the bets. Yeah, exactly. Or I mean, would they simply... To, you, you can't put... put You don't want electronic transfers that can be traced, so yeah. they have to keep the cash. All right. Well, we can only hope that uh, this podcast has a, a strong following in the underworld, and the remember, uh, criminal community. Gambling is illegal in Taiwan. Yeah, remember that. Uh, also remember all the uh, excellent advice that we're laying down for all the criminals out there. Definitely uh, a side benefit of this podcast now, apparently. Uh, But we're going to have to end it there. You can send us your thoughts on the week's major stories on the Facebook page or on our blog. Uh, You'll also be able to find this program online at the ICRT website and on iTunes. Signing off from the ICRT studio, I'm Keith Manconi, joined by Gavin Phipps. Yes, good night. And by my side right here is Ross Feingold. Good night. And over the phone, Donovan Smith. Thank you. Have a great evening. Thank you all for listening. See you again next time on Taiwan This Week. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.